Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani. And I'm Chuck Mendenhall. And I'm Pete Carroll, and together we are Three Pack. Join us on the brand new Spotify Live app immediately after all of the biggest fights in combat sports. And also during the weigh-ins, because that's when the real drama happens. So what are you waiting for? Follow the Ring MMA show right now on our exclusive Spotify podcast feed. And come join the best community in MMA. Peace! We're out of here. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase, every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig inspires people of all ages to jump through life and its muddy puddles with enthusiasm. The relatable stories, oinks and giggles have made her preschooler's first best friend, helping them navigate everyday life with unabashed exuberance. And now you can discover new playtime adventures with your little ones. Jump into spring and hunt for muddy puddles in Peppa's caravan playset. Hit the road for endless adventures and have heaps of fun with Peppa's whole family. Oinks and giggles are guaranteed. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence since 2004. Peppa Pig is a trademark of Hasbro created by Mark Baker and Neville Astley. I'm Sean Fennessy. I'm Amanda Dobbins. And this is The Big Picture, a conversation show about a lot of stuff, but most importantly, Zach Barron is here. Zach, you are the senior staff writer at GQ Magazine. Is that right? That's right. You are also the life partner and husband of Amanda Dobbins. Many people are saying. You're also one of my <laughs> oldest friends and a, a, quite a film fan. And you are well qualified to be here today because we're talking about a lot of stuff on the big picture. We're talking about the Golden Globe nominations. We're talking about Brendan Fraser. We're talking about The Whale. We're talking about the film Emancipation, the attempted Will Smith comeback. So much stuff is going on. Let's talk about Zach Barron first. Hi, Zach. What's up? I'm just happy to be here. What is this episode? Like 4,000? 4, yeah, I mean, I know, I know you guys you have been very later? busy. Um, I understand you both had kids recently. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to get the schedules matched up. I know you, you get very busy at that time. So, um, Are you wounded that it took this many episodes to be invited to the show? I, I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was originally a, a, a brokered pact. I don't remember who brokered it. Uh, maybe Kofi Annan. That if you were ever to appear, my wife Eileen would also have to appear on the show. And... Uh, Eileen will never appear on the show, I feel safe to say, because she has no interest in doing so. So here you are. Well, I think I brokered that pact. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you, and Eileen, then you broke it. Eileen would be the best guest on this podcast. That's why I was like, like I was, it was, a, it was a hunger down. strike. I was, the, yeah, I wasn't, I was withholding my takes until Eileen could be here. When it's totally done, don't yep. you think that we can just have Eileen on, give Eileen her two hour. cocktails, and just like let it rip? Eileen, you know, she has a lot of very strong takes that I feel perhaps shouldn't be shared. Uh, <laughs> but I don't want to speak for her. And if she wants to speak for herself, she's always invited. Um, you're here, though. I'm here. Is this everything you imagined? Um, you guys have some great rocks outside the studio. I, okay, might, yeah. I might take one home as a souvenir. <laughs> Great scene setting. These are the details you're known for. Yeah, in your yeah. space is one Should of I the describe the parking lot. Do you think your listeners care about that? Pretty Do you want to talk about our commute at all? Yeah, no, it was. Uh, yeah. We we drove separately. What? Uh, well, because I oh, have another podcast. Yeah, yeah okay. and he has to go back. Okay. 
you know, we had a hard time getting out of the house. Someone refused his breakfast. You know, Zach, there was, Zach yeah, refused Zach breakfast. breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> Very hungry right yeah, now. Yeah, I, mean, I have two, actually. We didn't make it for ourselves, just for our ungrateful son. Um, yeah, we're here. How does it feel to be recording with your partner? I'm asking both of you, but I really want to know from Zach. Are, are you are you are you referring to yourself as my partner? Or, <laughs> well, you and I are, are partners. Yeah, that's too. what I'm saying. It's yeah. very, very yeah. complicated. Which partner are we talking, Bobby? <laughs> <laughs> Feels great true. to be here, I, with Bobby. <laughs> uh, why don't we talk about movies and everything going on in the world? Because this is this is really quite a loaded conversation, yeah. and uh, it's kind of perfect that Zach is here. Because on the one hand, there's like a classic chaotic me and you yelling at each other about stuff that doesn't matter part mm-hmm. of this episode. Sure. And then there's a slightly more considered and complicated aspect to some of the conversation around both Will Smith and Brendan Fraser. They're both related to the Golden Globes as well because one of them was recognized and one of them is not. So a little context for the Globes this year. Uh, you may or may not recall last year, the Globes did not air on television. In fact, after a almost 18-month period of tumult, scandal, and controversy, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association uh, endured after it was, um, after the LA Times learned that there were no black members of the HFPA, and when they learned that there were uh, a series of uh, potential misconducts, payola, even uh, sexual impropriety potentially, the show went into this state of utter disrepair and scandal. And it's attempting to make a comeback. It is actually happening on Tuesday, January 10th of 2023. It was announced last week. Gerard Carmichael will be hosting the show. And this show is trying to rebuild its brand and it announced nominations today. Just a gut check from both of you. You you think the Globes is going to successfully come back? Not to the extent that it did. I mean, you you said the most key element, in my opinion, which is that it's airing on a Tuesday night yeah. on NBC. That's look. There's that's Sunday tough. night football. You know, it's I, very yeah, no, I know, which we watch every night in our every Sunday night in our home. Um, obviously, awards show ratings are down as Sean notes and um, despairs over every single time there's an awards show. But they are less and less central, and I I just think airing on a Tuesday night on NBC with a bunch of movies that are sort of popular or the, like the awards consensus, but that no one has really seen or heard of. Like, good luck. No, I, I, I don't. So the HFPA is certainly trying. I mean, there have been so many interviews in the trades. They're like on there. We've changed Goodwill Tour. I don't know how true that is. And I don't know how much anyone cares, which is really sort of the latter issue. But um, no, I mean, I think you, Sean, and I will watch it and be mad, but that's sort of the limit, I think, of where it will go. I don't know. Yeah, I think the relevance of the show used to be tied into the fact that the organization was kind of a joke and that the show in some ways, while often entertaining, was not really taken seriously. It was, however, obviously a bellwether in some respects, just in terms of um, exposing a wider audience to a number of films that maybe they were not as familiar with. It really was the strong kickoff of the Oscar season. It's attempting to become that again. Zach, you've re- reported on the HFPA a bit, um, in part because of uh, the work that you've done around Brendan Fraser and his career. Uh, ha- any sense of, like, are the Globes ever going to matter again? Did, when you were reporting, did you feel like this is curtains for this crew? I th- I think I have the opposite take of you guys, which is that the Globes are, like, stubbornly relevant in a way that surprises me year after year. And the LA Times investigation that took them off the air for a year was kind of far from the first mm-hmm. to be like, there's some shady stuff going on here. They're kind of famous for it. They're well-known for it. And then, you know... I did a story in 2018 where Brendan Fraser alleged sexual impropriety about a former president in the organization. 
the award show went on completely as normal that year and the following year. Um, and I wasn't like the first to report something like that either. So I'm not, I'm like, I'm ki- I'm curious what you guys think about why this show endures, because I think every few years for a long time now, it's been like, Hey, just in case you guys forgot, th- this award show is kind of a joke. Yeah. And then, there it is again in the bright lights on NBC the next year. And everybody's like taking it very seriously for Oscar prognostication and stuff like that. And my question to you guys, I'm, I'm genuinely very curious why you think it has such a, a persistence, especially when it did finally go off the air and Hollywood as a whole, uh, studios, publicity firms had an opportunity to be like, Maybe we'll do something else. And in fact, I remember, I think you guys even talked about it, like, oh, maybe it's the, the what was the critic, Critics Awards? Critics, yeah, the Critics Choice Awards. Critics Choice Awards. Awards. Maybe that can fill the place in the award schedule. Or, you know, there's all these great, uh, you know, New York film critics give awards. LA film critics give awards. There's the got like, there was so many other things. And it was like, oh, maybe something can take this place. And here they are right back in in the... I mean, there's a probably a variety of answers. Um, I think branding is the most important. This is a long, long, long running show that has an identification, certainly amongst people of our generation and older. I don't know if young folks give a shit anymore, but what what do you think? Yeah, it's grandfathered in. And I think, Zach, everything that you said is true about it. It is useful to the publicists and studios as an awards launch. And to the extent there is an awareness of these projects, it is because of things like the Golden Globes. So it's it's established and has market share within that awards show and like awards circuit universe. And it's very hard to launch a new, you know, critic's choice or people's choice or whatever. Like it just that doesn't really work anymore. But I think like the larger market share of awards shows and awards movies and movies and and theaters and all of that stuff, it's just shrinking. And so do I think that it will, quote, matter in terms of the Oscar race? I I actually do. I do too. Uh, Do I think that the world at large cares about the Oscars race? No, I do not, which which is a bummer. So, you know, we're both right. Um, to borrow a phrase from our marriage, I just think it's. I think it's interesting. You know, I think I think it was today the Times is a piece. Uh, Brooks Barnes and Kelly Bush, who runs IDPR, is in there, basically saying like, "I'm glad this is back. They've done they've done important work." You know, she and, and Kelly Bush, it should be said, was one of the leading voices in terms of trying to dismantle the show and, and the HFPA. Correct. And and I, I believe you still rep Brendan Fraser and so has a sort of personal stake in this in a lot of ways. And I thought that was interesting. And, and you know, if you talk to people at studios and publicity firms, they complain bitterly about this show. I, I mean, I'm just saying that neutrally. I'm not saying they're right or wrong. But, you know, they say, hey, they're, they're weird about our talent and they demand a lot. And then they make these very, very arbitrary decisions about in terms of what they nominate and what wins. And it's striking to me where it's like, oh, you got your wish. Your, your clients don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to talk to these people. And then here we are right back, like nothing happened. Well, one of the reasons that I think that we're right back is because Brooke Barnes wrote another piece over the weekend about the struggles of prestige films, of awards films, of the fact that many of the films that we've talked about on this show over the last three months just haven't done very much business 
part of the challenge there is that those films are in theaters in for shorter windows of time than they used to be, which is also something that we've been talking about. Theoretically, the announcement of the nominations, which we can dig into right now, tends to give these movies a boost. And when these movies are being talked about on NBC in prime time, more people will ostensibly seek them out. That doesn't really feel like it's necessarily going to happen in the same way as, as last year or the year before that or the year before that. But let's dig in because, you know, the Golden Globes historically makes a lot of blunders. I wouldn't say there were a ton of blunders this year. This is year. incredibly safe. Very Playing safe. incredible, like almost boring. Um, certainly not the enthusiasm for celebrity that has defined years past. That was the polite way of saying it. Yeah. Um, they love famous people at their show. Yeah. And w- with, with good reason to an extent, because the other thing we didn't really talk about is that this show was really fun, you know, and they would get like good comedian hosts and let them have a little more fun. I mean, your your taste for Ricky Gervais versus Tina Fey and Amy Poehler may vary, but all of the stars were sitting at round tables. There were lots of jokes about the booze that was flowing. It was supposed to be festive, and and I I do think there was audience awareness of that. Mm-hmm. So they were trying to juice like the party atmosphere. Respectfully, this this is not a party atmosphere lineup. No, I mean, in some in it's, some respects it is, in some respects it isn't. I mean, we can talk about what's missing. Zach, I don't. I mean, I, I I know that you listen to the show, and I know that you see a lot of films in part because of your work and because you love movies. But like, were you not in this chair today? Would you have woken up and spent any time looking at the nominations? Well, as you said, I have reported on this organization before, um, and I remember when I was doing reporting, I was sort of looking up the membership, um, which is. Sort of a closely held secret and sort of actually incredibly easy to find. And how to say this respectfully. It's not going to sound respectful. These were people who were like tweeting at airlines. Like I'd be like, oh, <laughs> let me let me let me find their body of work and their Twitter account. And it was like, okay, thanks. 13 minutes in is when it starts. <laughs> thank, thanks to American Air for this great upgrade and or being like American. How dare you not upgrade me? I've been a very loyal customer for a very long time. So once <laughs> once you kind of see that. It's a it's a little bit hard to to look at these nominations and feel like they mean anything except uh, in the way that you guys talk about them as like oh for the precursor of the Oscars there's some films here didn't get nominated right I'm very aware of like okay like Armageddon time you're probably not getting nominated for anything it is not represented here in the nominations today in any way right and then conversely you see you know okay you know wh- whether it be Tar or uh, some of these other movies, you, you say, okay, you're very much in the game. So as like precursor stuff, as like an exercise of taste, I mean, you can complain about the Academy all you want and Best Picture winners and they can be ridiculous, but it's like Chloe Zhao votes on that. Steven Spielberg votes on that. I, the people who are voting on this, it, it just, it's not even like hard to take their taste seriously. I'm like, I don't know who they are or what they do. Yeah, I mean, it's a coterie of international journalists, and the membership has changed somewhat dramatically over the course of the last 24 months, in part because of some of the revelations that were made. But it is, the way you're describing it is accurate. I used to describe the Academy as a secret cabal Mm -hmm. when it was like 3,500 mostly white guys older than 60. It's still a lot of white guys older than 60, but there's now like 10,000 members in the Academy. It's a big group of people. This is still a very, very small voting body. And yet, I agree with you, Amanda. There's a kind of a consensus-y quality to a lot of the picks. So let's let's talk about them. Um, 
Let's talk. Start start with best motion picture drama. Yeah, number one. Avatar: The Way of Water. Big Jim. Seeing it tonight. Yeah. Can't fucking wait. Three hours Movie and eight minutes. Of the Three year. hours and ten minutes. Yeah. God bless. It should be you six going hours. You go to Burbank or are you going, going to Burbank? City? Okay, yeah, great. Yeah. Will you save me a seat? Um. Yeah. Actually, we should talk about Avatar a little bit later too because you have Love some to. insights into that. My man, Big Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Big Jim reigns. Elvis also nominated here for best motion picture drama. The Fableman, Steven Spielberg's film. Zach just mentioned Tar and Top Gun Maverick. Wow. You didn't let me like do any sort of like amp up to Top Gun Maverick being, you know? Well, it's I think it's because there is some restraint in this Top Gun Maverick nomination. Um, we can talk about no best actor if in you're a minute. Gonna yeah. make Top Gun I mean, sure, whatever. But, but th- this, is, this is notable. I know. Well, he sent his golden globes back. That's, what were they gonna do? That's what's notable. You know? There was a big question about whether or not Tom Cruise would play ball with the Globes this year because famously when this show was enduring its scandals, he returned his Golden Globes. And Where are they now? Where do you think? That's a magnificent question. You think he just returned them to the sea? You I, mean, know? I guess he didn't know where they were. He was yeah. like, if I could find <laughs> them in six houses ago, I would return them. So just say that I returned I hope they're on the aircraft carrier that they shot Maverick on. That's right. where I want them That's to right. be. They were melted down into munitions, actually. <laughs> I just want them like in a leftover box from whatever like weightlifting system was ordered for Tom Cruise off the internet, you know, sitting in. Does, does the HFPA have offices? Yeah. Probably. Where? Yeah. Closely held. Zurich. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I don't okay, know. Great. All right. Anyway. So I think in West Hollywood. Okay. I, okay. Great. So yeah, they're just on La Cienega, the box of Golden Globes. Films that are not represented in this category: Women Talking, which we suspected would be nominated for Best Picture; The Whale, which may or is kind of, feels like it's on the bubble right now as a Best Picture nominee. We'll yeah. get into that film very shortly. And She Said feels a little bit like a death knell for She Said, but yeah. we can debate that. Um, fascinating decision to have Elvis. Nominated in drama instead of in musical or comedy. Is it fascinating? Is that the word that you would use? I think it's an indi- notable. I, well, I think it's an indication of strength. You know, yeah. the last time that this happened, to Star is Born and Bohemian Rhapsody were slotted here. The right. following year, Rocket Man was slotted in musical right, or comedy. Right, right, right. If you push your movie into musical or comedy, it's a little bit of a like. I'm not sure if we can make the cut here. Elvis right. is very, very strong. Watch out for fucking Elvis because. Okay. We're going to wake up one day and it's going to have a Best Picture Oscar and we're going to be like, how did we get here, America? <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to be you yelling okay, I'm going to be saying that, yeah. And people will be I'll parodying. Be like, I had a nice time and then Sean didn't talk to me. Uh, let's evolve to Best Motion Picture Musical or Comedy. Here are the nominees. My Beloved Babylon, Damon Chazelle back in the game. The Banshees of Inna Sharon, which is one of the most nominated. I think it's the most nominated yes. film here at the Globes today. Everything Everywhere all, all at Once, which also did quite well. Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. And Ruben Ostlin's Triangle of Sadness. Yeah. So that's the one where I, when I woke up and I was thinking about our best picture power rankings, and I was like, uh, we're sleeping on Triangle of Sadness yeah. because of the international component of the Academy and international audiences are just are really there for Triangle of Sadness. Yeah. I neglected to, to note that The Woman King was also not nominated in drama as well. Right. So we had The Woman King on our rankings last week. Right. Well, and now perhaps it has taken a hit, although Viola Davis was recognized yeah. by the Globes. Um, it's possible. Triangle of Sadness is a much like movie. I think it just won Best Film at the European Film Awards over the weekend as well. And so that train is rolling. Did you see Triangle of Sadness? I have not. Okay. Um, yeah. Man, that ain't was, that just the Oscars, you know? Yeah. I already made this said this line, but Oslin was killing it for like eight years. And then the first movie came along that I didn't like. And everybody's like, this should be nominated for Best right. Picture. Um Let's go to the acting categories. Are, Zach, any reflections on musical or comedy, your favorite category at the Golden Globes? Uh, yeah, very, very important to me. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I feel like Glass Onion, very, very um, Globesy. 
yeah. nomination. Yeah. Yes. Ling- lingering potentially as the ninth or tenth best picture candidate. Right, right. And this is like where the musical or comedy category comes in handy for a film like that. Very yeah. much. Do you think this boosts Babylon at all? Are you getting on the are you gonna ride the Babylon train? I think the that seeing Diego Calva, Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, and Damien Chazelle at the Golden Globes is beneficial to them. Sure. Now there is often a late released film that very few people have seen that the Globes recognizes if it's particularly starry. Yeah. So, and their taste historically, of course, does not always align with the Academies. Said it before, can't wait to talk about Babylon. It's it's very loud and expressive and probably going to irritate some people. So mm-hmm. I'm not super high on its chances, but I think it's a more fun Oscars race if and it's in it. Brad Pitt like, with the acting nomination. He does have, all, th- all three of those stars were nominated. So that's, that's notable. Right. It's um, still the Golden Globes. It is. Uh, well, we'll see. I mean, I, I, well, I wonder if this show, as it conforms and becomes slightly more conservative, if it starts to resemble more what the Academy is. I, I, it'll be interesting to, to, to see if that shakes out. Um, best performance by an actress in a motion picture drama. Kate Blanchett for Tar, Olivia Coleman, Empire of Light, Viola Davis for The Woman King, Anna de Armas for Blonde, and Michelle Williams for The Fablemans. Any reactions to that? You guys think Anna de Armas can take it all the way? <laughs> that, that, this feels like the Globesiest nomination. Did you to watch me. that movie? No. Yeah, not at home. Yeah. No. Um, I like Anna Darmus, and I feel for what she went through in order to make the film Blonde. Mm-hmm. And you mean having to make the Gray Man after that? Yeah, well, no, I think also having to make Blonde and having to work with Andrew Dominic every day. I think so, she enjoyed it. She was quite posy about well, the whole experience. Sure. I mean, she knows what to say in front of cameras and also I don't know how else you get through this. I I wish her well in okay. jam session parlance okay. and so and and she's very beautiful and I'm sure she'll look great at the Golden Globes. Uh thoughts? Um great nominations. <laughs> really I just <laughs> think they really outdid themselves in this category. I do also I did think for a moment about uh Jennifer Lopez uh not winning the Golden Globe during Jennifer Lopez halftime, which was a great documentary that came out this year. She was destroyed. She was absolutely destroyed. And so now seeing Anna Darmus get, you know, recognition as she obviously hasn't won yet, and I, I don't think she will win. But um, you know, it's a lot of it's Sliding doors there, if you will. This, this is, is another, uh, she said, kind of not promising. Well, you know, the, again, category fraud and play here where uh, Zoe Kazan was technically running in Best Actress and was not recognized here. Um, and her her counterpart, Carrie Mulligan, is nominated in supporting. But I, this just feels like Kate Blanchett's to lose, as does the Oscar at this yeah. point to me. Um, I guess Michelle Williams and Viola Davis will compete, but... Um, Notable that Olivia Coleman is nominated. Empire of Light really tanked at the box office yeah. and critically I, over the weekend. I still have not seen it because it was so DOA. Uh, I mean, I will at some point. I, I will do my job. And I love Olivia Coleman, but... I mean, she's very good in the film, but I was not a fan of that film. Yeah. And um, I don't think it's going to make that too much That was one noise. of the angry Telluride texts from you. Y- yeah, I, re- I thought it was quite bad. Yeah. Uh, best performance by an actor in a motion picture drama. This is notable. We yeah. mentioned that Tom Cruise was snubbed in this category. Here are the nominees. Austin Butler for Elvis, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Hugh Jackman for The Sun, Bill Nye for Living, and Jeremy Pope for The Inspection, which I thought was a nice surprise. But that also means that Will Smith, who uh, stars in this weekend's Emancipation, was not nominated either. And so I think that this effectively ends the comeback tour and the wildly outlandish speculation that he could also be nominated for an Oscar, even though he can't attend the Oscars this year. Uh, thoughts? Sad for Cruz? Don't care? Zach, you want to talk about Brendan? 
I mean, that is a notable nomination yeah. here. So for context, um, you know, I don't know how to talk about this. In a story that I did, he, he said... For GQ Men of the Year, we were supposed to GQ say. GQ Men of the Year, December yeah. issue on Sands Now. Um, we're sitting in a room with a very tense GQ publicist right yeah. now. And she's like, Zach, yeah. say all the right words. Uh, you know, like and subscribe. Um, <laughs> he said, uh, when I asked him about this, he said he wasn't going to attend the awards. Um, even if he was nominated. Even if he was nominated. And this was before the nominations uh, were came out or, or I think even were voted on. So, and I wrote about this a little bit in the story. It posed an interesting problem for the Globes, I think, because they had this actor who is probably a front runner for the Oscar. We'll, we'll sort of see how that shakes out. But um, at least at the moment, he is saying, before you even do the nominations, that he's not coming. So like with Cruz, what, what do you do? Um, and they clearly have chosen to nominate him. And if, you, if you've if you sort of followed the, the Globes publicity tour that you mentioned, Amanda, the president of the Globes was asked about this, I think, in the Hollywood Reporter and, you know, said, we're making outreach to his camp and uh, we'd like to, him to see that we've, we've changed. They haven't um, publicly apologized to him, um, but they clearly, in 2018, when he made these allegations, they kind of went to war with him. Um, and, this time, I think they're taking a different tact. It will be fascinating to see if he wins, uh, because I think it, uh, there is a case to be made that if he wins, that this is the sort of final stroke in the HFPA attempting to kind of reconcile with its past. Now, I think that that's a kind of slight reconciliation in a lot of ways, but it will indicate that it's like no hard feelings and let's try to become a better organization going forward. You know, my gut tells me that Austin Butler will win and then we'll just... Brendan Fraser will never be nominated again, and then we'll just move on from this chapter in history, even though Brendan never will be able to. So I, I could be wrong about that, but there is a, either way, it's cynical. And so yeah. it's a complicated ca uh, category this year. And e even the sort of attempted reconciliation could be seen as cynical because it, it sort of is, can this be PR for our rehabilitated organization? And that's why I think he was always going to get nominated here. Although it really was striking in 2018, just how much they were like, we're not sorry and he's wrong about this. Mm -hmm. um, and in that respect, I think this organization seems to have changed. Because um, even then, it, it would have been very easy for them to sort of be like, hey, we're not proud of this chapter in our past and we're very sad that he's upset and, and uh, we, you know, we hope he comes back. And that's not, that's not what they did then. Um, and it's kind of not what they're doing now, but the, he is nominated. Um, no Cruz, no Will Smith, but put, put, it, put that aside. Uh, we'll talk about emancipation briefly, I guess. But no Cruz and yes to Brendan Fraser seems like the like this safe, cynical option, yeah, right? It's just kind of like this is aware of what's going on. We're going to do what people think we should do. We're just going to kind of keep our heads down. And I think you're probably right about Austin Butler. And yeah. that's a very Globesy type it uh, is. win. I think also that Currently, I think Colin Farrell is the leader in this race, and he's been nominated here in, in um, musical or comedy for best uh, male performance. So they almost don't have to make a real decision yeah. in this. You know, it's not. I don't. Well, know. I was I was going to ask you guys about that. So you guys followed Oscars, right? Mm -hmm. What it does seem like a two person race at the moment between Colin and Brendan? Yeah. If Brendan isn't nominated here, will that mean anything? Excuse me, if he doesn't win here, will that mean anything? No. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think. I, I think that's part of the reason why the Globes had to nominate Brendan Fraser is because 
he is at a minimum in that triumvirate of Austin Butler, Brendan Fraser, and Colin Farrell. Those are the three clear leaders in the race right now in a pretty strong race. So I I don't think it's real. I don't, I'm not sure that the acting races will have a huge impact on the Oscars, but I could be wrong. Let's just read through the the um, actor and actress uh, categories for musical or comedy as well. Uh, Diego Calva, as I said, from Babylon is nominated here. Um, this is a pretty big deal. He's a widely unknown uh, actor. Daniel Craig is nominated for his performance in Glass Onion. I actually think Daniel Craig's best thing about Glass Onion, so I'm just happy to see this. Um, Adam Driver was nominated for White Noise, which is uh, awesome. Sure. Sh- kind of shocking because... No, it's not. Get, you want Kylo Ren at your award ceremony. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's, is Adam Driver famous to you? Zach? Yeah, very much so. But okay. he's very much so. us. He doesn't really care. No, no, no. no. It's, that's not, it's not, it's not true. Uh, it, he is... Uh, We've seen him at brunch, you know? Okay. Meaning you've had brunch with Kylo no, Ren? No, 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 no. But he's like one of those, he was one of those like Brooklyn yeah, people Yeah, but you're like, like a, cos- you're a cosmopolitan elite. That's you so know nice what I mean? Many people, <laughs> I many people will never have way, the opportunity to see Adam Driver yeah, yeah, at, yeah, yeah. at lunch. Um, Shall I continue with the nominations sure. or would you guys like to d- dig deeper into your brunch Who else have lifestyle? you seen at uh, lunch, Amanda? Not that many people. Okay. Not recently. I mean, there was a pandemic. Anyway, okay. you continue. Go ahead. Colin Farrell was nominated for the Banshees of Inisherin, as yeah. was Rafe Fiennes for the menu. One of two nominations for the menu, which I think is potentially interesting because that's one of the few movies that's come out in the last three months that actually made a little bit of money. Right. Uh, and then actress uh, for musical or comedy, Leslie Manville for Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. I have actually seen 25 minutes of this. Uh, well, thanks for your service. Uh, <laughs> Margot Robbie was nominated for Babylon. Anya Taylor-Joy from the aforementioned The Menu. Emma Thompson for Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. And Michelle Yeoh for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Missing from this list, Julia Roberts, Ticket to Paradise. Your loss. She HFPA. will still be there because she was nominated for Gaslight, the television okay. program, well, which was executive produced by our friend Sam Esmail. Uh, I don't... What's with the Leslie Manville one? I, listen, I am a mark for those types of movies, and I was like saving Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris mm-hmm. for number one to be on like Peacock instead of costing $20. And to because just as a treat, you know, like yeah. a pick me up. Uh and it's it's adapted from one of those books about uh, you know w- with like a little illustration of Paris something on the you know, if you are a bookstore habitué, you know exactly what those are. Mm-hmm. And I thought it would be perfect for me and it was way too treacly even for me. I wasn't crazy about it. I watched yeah. it a few weeks ago. Um I it just it's like a filling out the slots kind of yeah. nomination in my opinion and I, if we're talking about why, where is Julia Roberts for Ticket to Paradise I think that's a pretty good sign that this is a slim category sure yeah and if you want to galaxy brain it you can basically be like this is a this, this film was focus features um, slightly prestigious Leslie Manville great 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 previously nominated for Phantom actress. Thread so sure. yeah. if you're just trying to like fill in a little gravitas in your award show not the worst nomination. Let's do the supporting categories really quickly here. Uh, for actor, Brendan Gleeson for The Banshees of Inisherin and Barry Keown for The Banshees of Inisherin, Brad Pitt for Babylon, Kiwi Kwan for Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Eddie Redmayne for The Good Nurse, which I find to be an abominable domination. Um, <laughs> and for best actress in a supporting role, Angela Bassett for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, who I think has strongly emerged as yes. the frontrunner in that race, Carrie Condon for The Banshees of Inisherin, Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Dolly DeLeon for Triangle of Sadness, which I think you tipped us on when we talked yeah. about that film a few months ago. And Carrie Mulligan for She Said, as I mentioned. A bunch of potential snubs here. I think the one film that's in a little bit of trouble with these nominations is Women Talking, 
Um, no acting nominations for that film. It's possible that the actors canceled themselves out. I think there was a, an expectation that either Claire Foy or Jesse Buckley or Claire Foy and Jesse Buckley would be nominated. They, neither was. Stephanie Sue from Everything Ever Everywhere All at Once was not nominated. Favored uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in this race. I think that's how it'll go going forward. No Hong Chow for The Whale. No Kiki Palmer for Nope. No Janelle Monet for Glass Onion, who has actually won a couple of critics awards recently and I feel like is an interesting right. dark horse contender for the Oscar. Because she has a slightly more complicated performance than what you think it's going to be. Yeah, but don't you think that's just a little bit lost in the timing, awards, campaign, marketing, I do. I theater? Do. You know, they just don't don't have her out there I'm yet. circling that one for yeah, when I people start smart. seeing that movie. I think that's Because there's something interesting there. Um, any other thoughts on the supporting categories? I mean, Kiwi Kwan seems sort of the solidifying favorite, <sighs> which is great. I think so. I think... Brendan Gleeson is a little stronger than we think, but Barry being there means that yeah. they might cancel each other out. This is also Banshees heavy, which again, like this is an international group of voters, which so is the Academy, but like it's it's more weighted. I think Banshees is going to do very well at both of these award yeah. shows. Um, it's a, one of the very few films this year that very few people are split on. It's not super controversial. Most people like it. Yeah. So that's always notable. Uh, best director. Yeah. Big Jim. Yeah. James Cameron, Avatar The Way of Water. I wonder if Big Jim's win is coming this year. It certainly feels like it's possible. For director. For director. Yeah. Um, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheiner for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Baz Luhrmann for Elvis, I guess. Martin McDonough <laughs> for The Banshees of Sharon, And Steven Spielberg for The Fableman. Some notable snubs here, particularly Todd Field Tar. I feel wounded by that. No Sarah Polly women talking. No Gina Prince Bythewood for the wo- the Woman King. No women nominated in this category, yeah. which is historically not. I mean, listen, women. the HFPA is quote improved, but like across the board, I would not say that this is whether you're talking about women nominated or black actors, black actors of color. It's not. I, I mean, okay. All I think, right. I think I might have failed to mention that Daniel Deadweiler was also not recognized in Best Actress, who right. is considered pretty tightly in the top five in that category for the Academy race. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see whether or not the, the HFPA has changed. The I kind of don't King, care. women talking, and she said, being the ones that were left out. Do we notice anything? Anyway. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think you're right. Um, and then, you know, we, I, I don't think we need to talk about every single category here. I, I think it's, on the one hand, it feels like a refurbished HFPA. On the other hand, old habits die hard, and that's true in all voting bodies, and especially this one. We'll cover the show. We're going to be there the night that it happens. I, I Not because I have a necessarily an enthusiasm for this program, but uh, what else are we going to do on a Tuesday, right? So we're going to cover it. I mean, be with our children. Well, they'll be asleep. You know? Actually, that's not true. No, they it's won't. It's going to be at 5 it's, p.m. Yeah, it's the worst time, and it's going to be really dark out, and we can't take them outside. Zach, you excited? Well, let me ask you guys another question about this. So okay. about the Brendan thing, he's boycotting, mm-hmm. he said. I think there was a moment when he told me this when I was writing about it. I was like, oh, I don't, it's interesting. I wonder what the other actors and actresses will do. I wonder what the directors will do. I wonder if there will be a response by other nominees. If this guy's saying, hey, I had a really hard time with this organization and mm-hmm. therefore I'm not coming. Do you guys anticipate anybody else following suit? I don't. I don't either. Yeah. Which is, I... Kind of, it makes me feel icky. But I, I, what are the reasons for that? Do you think? I don't think they will follow suit because of the press tour that the HFPA has been doing the past couple of weeks, and they have been 
getting features in the trades. As you mentioned, Kelly Bushnovak, the publicists are giving public statements being like, we are pleased to see that strides that the HFP are making, blah, 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 blah. And um, these actors want awards and the studios and need the publicity. So I don't think that there is anyone in the and, and I and I think the good that like the, the apology tour except a non no apology to Brendan Fraser that the HFPA has been doing has been enough cover that it's not a bad look for them to go. I think last year it you they had not done anything and it was like you can't go and I I don't know I I think it's a fallen line town yeah you know I just I, um this is a this is a show and most award shows as you know Zach as you know Amanda are effectively operated by publicists and award strategists and access to celebrity and um, creators is the currency of these shows and the reason that this show was torn asunder previously was because all of those people decided that it was no longer in favor. They have since made some attempts to rehabilitate and everyone needs loud and noisy events to promote their product. And everyone has decided that I guess this is okay enough with a few, you know, particular and notable exceptions this year in in Brendan Fraser and, and a handful of other people. I think if one Let's say, for example, Steven Spielberg said, I am not satisfied with the rehabilitation that uh, the HFPA has suggested they've made, and I will not be attending the show. I think a lot of people would follow in line, but he didn't do that. And it's his right to not do that. I'm not suggesting he even should. I, 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 candidly, at this point, I don't care. Um, but if he had done that, it might have been different. You know, Brendan Fraser is, is in the midst of a comeback story, but he is a he was a fallen movie idol. You know, that was, that's the narrative that is built around him that you helped, you know, uh, identify and, and, and empathize with. And it needs to be someone who is slightly more powerful, whether it was going to be someone who works at IDPR or someone like Steven Spielberg. Without that, I just think people are going to show up on the show. You know, Brad Pitt will probably be there. Julie Roberts will probably be there. That would be my guess. Yeah, I know. You're making your, like, slightly disappointed face. I don't just, I... No, I don't, I don't really have a dog in the fight. I think, I think it's very interesting what does and doesn't pull the levers. And I think Sean's breakdown was like absolutely correct where it's like, okay, you, you basically need someone more powerful, you know? Um, yeah. But it is very interesting where you're going to have a night full of probably like, hey, we've really done a lot of work. And then there's going to be this sort of glaring thing and no one will mention it or acknowledge it. I do. I, you're right. I do find that a little sad. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is a little bit icky. And I, I'm curious if Austin Butler wins, whether he acknowledges anything i'm, I'm, I'm sure go ahead and say he, 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 he will not he will not i don't think he will I, yeah um you know does austin butler like know who brendan frazier is because he's like 24 years old um but you know i mean i think he does i think austin butler is an interesting example of a person who is attempting to one he's obviously forging a different right story than some of the people that are nominated in that category but he's like i'm trying to become tom cruise you know he's so he has right. to someone like that is just he's gonna play the game full stop would be my would be my guess right um you know, I, I had planned to spend a little bit of time on emancipation and it almost feels like emancipation never happened. Yeah. That's um that's this is a new film. It's now available on Apple TV Plus, uh, directed by Antoine Fuqua and starring Will Smith. This is the first Will Smith project after he slapped Chris Rock at the Academy Awards earlier this year. That was still this year, 2022. Remarkable enough. Um and that was probably the signature event in entertainment yeah. in 2022. And here we are. 
just nine, ten months later, Will Smith's got a movie that is pitched as an Oscar contender, and it feels like that's no longer the case. It's it's a you know it's certainly a quite a powerful story. It's about a man named Peter who is a slave who flees a plantation in Louisiana after he's whipped within an inch of his life. Um, is loosely based on the real life story of Gordon, who was a former slave, and the photographs of his bare back, uh, which uh, you know showed those whippings that the character endures. And then the, that when that photo was published worldwide, it you know sort of sparked. Um, support for the abolitionist movement in part because it showed the absolute depravity and cruelty of slavery to Americans who maybe were not aware or chose to not look at those images. Um, it's an interesting film here because Antoine Fuqua, I think maybe in our associations might be, oh, Training Day, Denzel Washington's mm-hmm. Academy Award win. But then when you look at Antoine Fuqua's CV and you realize this is the director of Olympus Has Fallen and The Equalizer 2. Magnificent Seven. Magnificent Seven. This is largely an action film director. This is a mainstream Hollywood filmmaker conferring his talents to a quote-unquote prestige project. It is shot by Robert Richardson, the extraordinary cinematographer, and there are strokes of this film that look amazing, but um, it just kind of feels like an Antoine Fuqua movie. It's like very visceral. It's kind of sludgy in its pacing, the way I find a lot of Fuqua's movies are, and I thought it was kind of a disappointment. What would you guys think? Yeah, it's not an accident that like the the two highlights of the movie are uh, Will Smith fighting an alligator. Yeah. <laughs> the highlight and, is, yeah, it's memorable moments. You know, highlight is not yeah, the right we word. We didn't watch this together, which is another so memorable like- moment. Uh, great alligator fight. Um, <laughs> and and then also, I, I do think the the movie comes alive in in sort of the third act when the battlefield. There's a battlefield, yeah. which yeah. which as Sean said is like what Fuqua does really well. That sequence is awesome. Act. And and that's like awesome. And it's galvanizing. I also like. I think you know, Will Smith started this movie. Are we sure, like, that this is what Will Smith does well? You know, like, suffer and also not interact with other human beings. Right. Huge chunk of this movie, he's, like, on his own, running. It's sort of cool to see the ingenuity of what he does. Uh, He obviously can sort of suffer nobly. He's he's a great actor. But I'm kind of, I, I had the thought more than once watching where I was like, is this really what we want from Will Smith? Him not talking to other people. Yeah. For 90% of the movie. I mean, it's not what I want from Will Smith, which has been the theme of this year in general. <laughs> um, just things that I do not want from one of my favorite movie stars. He doesn't speak for like 45 minutes because there is a kind of, a you know, it's three movies. The, the first part is a um, extremely difficult to watch film about slavery and, and, and is the part of the movie that builds on that theme of the, the, the real life inspiration of the photograph and like trying to watch or, or not, or, you know, watching and, and being witness to just absolutely horrific um, stuff. And then it turns into like the survival, like Bear Grylls type situation. I mean, he really does underwater battle an alligator. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of like, that's like 45 minutes in. You go pretty quickly from gruesome, you know, horrific, gruesome, acts to like Will Smith battling an alligator and winning. It, it becomes like a hunt and chase movie. Yeah, ben exactly. Foster plays the kind of hunter in pursuit of right. uh, Will Smith Smith's character um, among others. And and then it is the battlefield, you know, war epic. So it's a lot for your tonally and for your head to kind of wrap around and then Will Smith like gets one speech at the end. And that's it. He doesn't he doesn't speak. He doesn't like emote and I understand that actors want to play different types of roles but I, I agree that it's not the my favorite use 
of well, this individual. Well, it's it's obviously the film that he chose to do after King Richard. Obviously, in before those films, he was in pursuit of a kind of recognition in his career that he was not obviously previously able to achieve. It feels like putting a hat on a hat to make emancipation after King Richard, um, because they are two different strains of a similar awards-worthy quote-unquote performance. This is his version of The Revenant, right? Like shortly after yeah. his version of, I don't know, Wolf of Wall Street, if we're going to follow the DiCaprio model, where it's like one is very um, emotive and expressive and sort of larger than life, and then the other is very internal and very physical and about endurance. And uh, it just doesn't work. It's like it's a real two and a half star movie that I think I was presented to me as something meaningful. And the story of course is very meaningful, but the actual film itself, I, I didn't really work for me. The one thing that I think is um, unusual about it is it feels like the prestige version of Michael Bay's ambulance to me because it's just like 30% drone shots. Yeah. That was wild. Um, and it's obviously something that Robert Richardson has gotten interested in and it's shot in this kind of contrasty black and white and the camera is, flying through swamps and through uh, plantation fields and through battlefields. And there is something kind of novel about it. Um, I'd never really seen a movie shot with drones that quite looks like this, but I don't know that it was necessarily like useful. I don't know that it necessarily aided the story in any way. Um, I kind of just feel like Robert Richardson, who I think also shot King Richard, um, is just kind of like, what can I do next uh, at this point? Like, I want to do a sports movie. I want to do a movie with drones. Like, and he's, you know, and there is some, there is something about every time a production ends up in you know New Orleans or, or that you know it's like Spanish moss yeah. and water and reflections and more Spanish moss and then some more Spanish you know it's it's interesting because I, I I do think this movie has beats in it um, obviously slavery movies are are sort of tough to make because it's such a horrific thing it's also tough to make because there's all these templates of oh, that movie, that version has already been made or that version has already been made. Coming up with like, this is an insane thing to say, but like a fresh take on this, I think is actually a very challenging thing to do. And there are elements of the movie I think that are very, like I like that it doesn't dwell in the cruelty forever. Mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. like, like you said, Amanda, first third of it, very challenging to watch. Uh, elements of reels in there that are really cool. But then it's kind of like, ah, eh, like wh what, if, what if this was like more... Like we were saying, actiony. What if this was was sort of uh, more had more momentum than a movie like this sometimes has? But the flip side is, it's like what they didn't do was like shoot this like like the drone shots are novel. But I'm also like I've seen these trees so many a times. million times in films before. I also just at home now, I my brain turns off at a drone shot just because it's used so frequently in you know, as an establishing, like, cheap. Like, I thought it was kind of so a clever so. way to, like, to do the at-home thing because so often it's, like, so unpleasant to look at a movie on your television. I was like, yeah. this is actually quite beautiful. Yeah, but I'm just like, okay, so this is the filler you're telling me at this place. Like, I'm going to look at my phone. Anyway, that's that's me. I'm a bad. I, I'll tell you what I thought the intent was in this case because I agree with you that one thing that needs to be retired is the overhead drone shot Five thousand feet tracking yeah. a car on a lonely road yeah. through a forest, which indicates a kind of ominousness. Right, we're done on that. Like we got it. It's been in like thirty movies in the last two years. This one, I think, the intent was to kind of ex show that there is this sort of like massive open world that, to a character like Peter in the film, was simultaneously like a benefit and a scourge. Right, it was sort of like you could escape, and there's so many places to go. But by the same token, there's something kind of um, 
the the sort of like lack of information and the way you've been like stuck in this one place for this one period of time means that like you have to work hard to get into these new landscapes. So like I get that there was intent, yeah, um, or at least how I read the intent, but the film itself is just like a lot of recent Fuqua movies to me, where it's just like it just feels very stuck in the mud by the time you get to the second act, and I'm like, okay, so there's a whole hour and a half left in this movie. Um, and now I think it, the fact that it was not recognized probably indicates that there won't be much conversation about it. It's also a movie, like Will Smith is one of the great theatrical distribution movie stars right. of the last 30 years. And this movie's just on Apple TV Plus. And yeah, did anyone see it? I mean, Will Smith was doing like the sad influencer thing of like reposting on Instagram stories every person who tagged him watching his movie. And guys, I have to tell you, it was like in the tents, you know? I went, you know, I think more people watched the Daily Show interview, which the less we say about it, the better. That's fascinating. I think you're probably right. Um, let's talk about the whale. Zach, why don't we foreground it by just maybe you can talk a little bit more deeply about your uh, connectivity to Brendan Fraser and what you've written about him before we dig into the nitty gritty of the film, because they're obviously interconnected. Yeah. So I did a story in, I guess, 2018 called Whatever Happened to Brendan Fraser. That was the conceit at the time. Um, he had been like a cinema icon of our youth. Yeah, for We're sure. all about the same age. So in the, you know, in the 90s, this guy was very ubiquitous, uh, kind of blockbuster star and kind of really dropped off the map. And it was almost like idle curiosity. I think the, I think the story was pegged to he had been on season three of The Affair in a supporting role on television. He was on, he was about to be in uh, Danny McBride's Trust short-lived FX show. Danny right? Boyle's Trust. Sorry, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> Danny McBride's Trust would have been a really Yeah, that would, I would show, watch that show. Yeah. You can uh, retake that if you want to retake it. Uh, no, I would okay. just rock with it. Let it rock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the bless. people know. Yeah. Uh, don't make Bobby anything. work if he doesn't yeah. have to, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, that's my priority here. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it, it was it was more just born out of curiosity than than anything else. Um, and it, it just ended up being a, a very interesting answer, you know, and part of it was was this was a guy who had sort of been beaten up on film sets and turns out that like on The Mummy and The Mummy 2, he was doing his own stunts and uh, his body was like deteriorating and, and uh, in, a, in a way that kind of, he was getting surgeries. He, he just couldn't do the work uh, in a way that he was accustomed to doing it. And he'd always sort of been a very physical actor. Well, I'm, I'm, I think we're going to talk about it, but it's like, whether it's Encino Man or George of the Jungle, it's like he's got his shirt off. He's like bumping into things. And lo and behold, took a toll on the body. Um, that was part of it. Part of it were, the, were these sort of revelations that we talked about um, where, where he uh, alleged that a member of the HFPA assaulted him um, in, I believe, 2003 at a luncheon. Um, and basically had post-traumatic stress from that, felt like he was maybe blacklisted from the industry from that. Um, he is a very sensitive, delicate, so I, th I think it's one of the reasons he's been a successful screen actor because that quality often really comes across in a really effective way. So he was just him kind of telling a story and like, lo and behold, there were all these people who, when that story came out, were like, I, I really root for this guy. really care about this guy. It's a very viral story for GQ. And um, with The Whale, we, we just recently did a, a kind of a, a follow-up. I mean, he's had a really interesting four years. You know, at the time, he really wasn't working that much. And what he's working on was, was kind of third season of a cable prestige television show um, here with a whale, you know, he's, he's in a lead role, but, but in between, you know, he has like a very fun role in no sudden move. The, the Soderbergh movie from, is it last year or earlier this year? Um, yeah, last year. 
He is in Scorsese's upcoming Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, he's been like doing cool screen work um, and also just kind of having a second act that's very, very rare, I think, in the industry. Like kind of when you, when you disappear, you don't come back or you come back in the way that he came back in 2018 where it was like, oh, maybe this FX show is kind of good. You don't come back as the star of a Darren Aronofsky movie, unless you're Mickey Rourke, in which case that's exactly what you do. But, um, so, you know, we recently did a story kind of talking about that and, and, and where he's at and, and, and this interesting kind of return to the spotlight for him, um, which has been, you know, he's, he's, he's out there at film festivals getting ovations and stuff in a way that kind of never happened for him, but certainly hasn't happened in years and years and years. Yeah. It's a little bit, like a John Travolta-esque comeback story, but not quite the same. I think now he operates in a place where we're reflecting not just on what you helped him tell about the experiences that he had through the industry, but also maybe we'll reassess what kind of actor he was because he was just more of a traditional kind of matinee idol action star or comedy star and not someone who we thought of as necessarily the most sophisticated performer. Um, This film is asking something really deep of him. I mean, it's a, a very challenging movie. Um, it's a movie about an obese and reclusive English teacher who's trying to reconnect with his daughter uh, as he, you know, it approaches a final stage of his life. And it's a, like all Aronofsky movies, a very uh, aggressive and transcendent, or at least transcendent-seeming film. Um, I'm a huge Aronofsky fan. Was not a very big fan of this movie. And I think one of the interesting things about this conversation is can someone who is at the center of the film give a great performance that we really, really appreciate and also reject the film? Because there's been an interesting external conversation about the movie. So before we get to that, The Whale, what do you think, Amanda? So The Whale is based on a 2012 play that I have not seen. It was written by Samuel D. Hunter, and I believe he worked with Aronofsky on the screenplay. And this is the kind of thing that just makes me think we got think we got to give up on plays, you know, like as an art form, just like no more plays, um, because it has that like mega allegorical, too emotionally like messy, but neat, everything set up, just like overthought and underbaked simultaneously stuff that possibly in the right hands works better in a theater, in a personal experience. But like, I don't even know about that. And I, I don't feel that it was translated well to the screen. Um, so yeah, it, that's a no for me. I'm also just historically less of an Aronofsky fan than you are. I don't have the patience for it. I just like Everything is not the Bible, you know, um, and we're not all Christ just like trying to get through it despite whatever. So um, or Job or, you know, your your figure of choice. I did think Brendan Fraser was very good in this. And I think this also, despite my problems with the film and even the character and the character, it does locate something in Brendan Fraser that we all responded to, I think, during the 90s. And that I think you really, like, hit on on your piece, Zach, that, like, this openness and this 
like openness, uh, emotional kind of accessibility and and sensitivity, as you said, Zach, that I like, I do think is really apparent in a movie that I otherwise didn't really respond to. And to your point of can you celebrate bad performances in a good film? Yes, the Oscars do it like every year in Best Actor and Best Actress more often than not. Um, but it's an interesting one to talk about. You're 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 slightly uh, complicated in your in your ability to, you know, critique the film. But what like what did you make of the whale? So I I, I know Brendan Fraser a little bit, uh, or at least I've spent some time with him, and so. One thing I love when a director does is use an actor's qualities in a, in a way that sort of works for the the piece, um, and and but also understands something fundamental about the actor. Um, this is a, a very uh, a side, but I think about it a lot. Once at a Bradley Cooper story, and David O. Russell, uh, it was it was right around the time of Silver Lang's Playbook, and David O. Russell, I, I was talking to him about Bradley Cooper, and he was like, "The thing I realized about Bradley Cooper is." He's a very angry man. I don't think people thought of Bradley Cooper that way. He's the story of the hangover. It's like funny. But it was like David Russell saw something fundamental about this guy that had never been put on screen before. Bradley Cooper gets nominated for an Oscar. And this whole new career is born. And I think Aronofsky's doing something very interesting with Brendan Fraser. If you know Brendan, he really is a tender guy. He really is a decent guy. He really is a guy who is really trying to connect. And... Lo and behold, that's what this character is, and that's what they're trying to do. And so, I I found it very moving in that respect because because I know the guy, and I was like, oh, it's fascinating how this movie is using the qualities of the man, and and they're kind of feeding off each other, you know. So you're right, Sean. I'm a little bit biased isn't the right word, but I'm I'm sort of close to the situation, and well, I, you know. So I I sort of watched it, looking at him, and really enjoying the performance. Yeah, that's all I was going to say. It's like also when you see these movies, because you're writing a story about someone, you're watching them in a different way. Yeah, it would be great if I called up Aronofsky and I was like, hey, man, I didn't really like the movie. But can, we, can we just talk for a bit? You know, well, no, but it's just, just like share. you're focused yeah. on like the performance rather than the. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And I also I, I like Sean. I'm a big Aronofsky fan. I really like the particular intensity uh, that he he brings to films and, and you know I, I think we'll talk about this but some of the controversy around the whale it's very it's very interesting because it's like oh well part of it is is this exploitative or leering or is it or is it a Darren Aronofsky, Aronofsky movie yeah. or is it both you know and, and all three are, are possible yeah in, in looking at some of the criticism of the film I certainly had the reaction I guess you guys are not very familiar with Darren Aronofsky um, <laughs> because obviously he shows the kind of the grim side of all aspects of his characters lives you mentioned The Wrestler earlier and Mickey Rourke. Um, I think Black Swan comes to mind when I think of this movie. They feel like they're in the kind of league of people who are creative types or performer types. And in some ways, even Frazier's character here, who is a professor, who is a teacher on, who's teaching on Zoom, but not showing his face to his classmates, but still kind of performing. The act of teaching is a performance just like a ballerina, just like a professional wrestler. Um, he's constantly looking at the vulnerabilities of those characters and using them to like approach a kind of transcendence, a kind of like a crucifixion moment that then leads to an ascension. Like that's, he's going over and over again. Even Mother, which is more of a freak out movie even than, than these other films that we're talking about, is still a movie about trying to reach a higher plane with your spirit. Now, that sounds like 
full of pretense, but that's definitely what Aronofsky is after. And this film is interesting because unlike, say, The Wrestler, which concludes with a professional wrestler atop the top rope in a ring, or uh, Black Swan, which culminates in this kind of massive freakout for a, you know, a, a ballerina, or even Mother, which kind of like descends into hell, literally. This movie's just in, an, like, in a small house, an apartment, really. And I think it's the like fatal flaw of the film. And it's the, it's the play aspect that yeah. you're talking about, which is like confinement is the story and confinement is the, st- the aspect of the character. And it's, it's set against this allegory about um, Ahab and Melville and Moby Dick, which is, of course, a story about the open sea. Uh, yeah. And uh, it feels in, Ill- ill-considered. That's like a note you would give on the term paper that the author of the play would have written about Moby Dick, where it's like, you missed the point a little bit. Like, it's not about confinement. It's not about harpooning the whale. I, I, I struggle with the movie for a variety of reasons. I felt like tonally, Aronofsky is not well-suited to sympathy. And this is a film that necessitates sympathy. Um, I think that intensity that you mentioned, Zach, is where he operates best. And honestly, if it feels like he has a modicum of speculation about whether or not his lead is actually a good person, it actually works better. And this movie, because Frazier's such a sympathetic figure, not just in the external world and the story that you wrote, but as an actor, the movie is like really at cross purposes. I feel like it is like hammering into each other. So it really didn't work for me, but I did think that he was quite good. I thought Hong Chao was also quite good. She plays yes. um, a, a, a woman, a, a nurse who is helping him um, as he, you know, as his weight grows and as he becomes more uh, stricken in his health. Uh, Sadie Sink and Samantha Morton, I did not feel were as good in the film, no. but. Um, you know, I love Samantha Morton as an actress. I thought she was put in a tricky spot in this film. It's so it, it's a really interesting artifact because on the one hand, we're in this time where these smaller art housey movies are not doing as well, but this movie did quite well in theaters and it's gotten quite a bit of press, some very negative press. There's a, a much shared Roxane Gay uh, column about the film in the New York Times over the weekend, uh, you know, writing about the idea of fat phobia and whether or not this film does that. Frazier, of course, not a small man, but is wearing significant amount of prosthetics to approximate a 600 pound man. That sort of thing is deeply in the conversation about what an actor can and, and can't do on screen and how much they need to represent uh, a class of people or a race or a gender. Um, I, I'm personally a little bit less interested in that, in that aspect of the debate. I do think kind of regardless, it's hard to say that Frazier doesn't do an amazing job. Even the most critical pieces I think very few people have said that Frazier is less than um, emotive in the, yeah. in, in the work. Uh, it's, a, it's a really unusual artifact. It feels more like a 2011 movie that, to me than it does a 2022 movie yeah. in some ways. Yeah. Except I think in the COVID sense of, this is sort of boring, but I think a movie that can be shot in one room under very controlled circumstances is probably a very appealing prospect if you're trying to make a movie in the years uh, 2022, 21, 20. You know? It's true. It definitely feels like a pro- project of that. Um, can Brendan Fraser win Best Actor? I was hoping you guys would tell me. Um, I mean, I think uh, my opinion would be yes. You know, I, I think um, this is such a narrative-based, the, the awards year to year. What story does the Oscars want to tell about themselves? What, is, what story does Hollywood want to tell about itself? Um, you know, Mickey Rourke got nominated for The Wrestler when Aronofsky did a similar thing. And um, I think there's some speculation that he would have won, uh, but he wasn't the most pleasant person, I think, during some of that campaigning, and, and that hurt him. If you ever happen to meet Brendan at an Academy luncheon, I think he's probably going to charm you. Um, 
you know, I think probably, and you guys are more expert than I am, if this film continues to get sort of very, very negative reviews, then maybe not. But to me, it's a very powerful story. The redemption of this man it is reflected in the performance uh, where this, this this is a guy who's kind of taken out of the life he wants and is given it one more shot. There's a, there's a nice symmetry there. Um, I think there's some warmth for the studio and for the director in uh, Hollywood. And I think it would be very fun, you know? Now, it would be fun to see Colin Farrell win Best Actor too. I Like, it's an extremely charming man with an incredibly great CV. If CR were here, I know that he would... Yeah. He would... He would extend his heart to Colin one more time. But, um... <laughs> So, so I think but they're both worthy. The you um, made that you made that sound like that with the last time that yeah. There'll uh, be plenty more opportunities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I I don't know. I think I think, but I think it would be cool, mm-hmm. and I think it would be more narratively interesting for the Academy Awards for this at least to be a possibility up until the day that it does or doesn't happen. I think that will be the case. I think he'll definitely be nominated. Whether or not he wins will be interesting. I looking back at his career. Did anything surprise you as you thought about how to build out, like, what are the 10 essential Brendan Fraser performances? Better career than you thought? Worse? Weirder. Okay. Just a lot of, and I was surprised how much of a personal relationship I had to some of the movies, which, you know, a little bit of that is, it was the 90s, we were all growing up, he was everywhere, and did try to make different types of movies, even if he became most successful for a certain type. But, uh, you know, I there are a couple on here that I've seen like way more than anyone should ever have seen them. So that's strange. And then I do think I was surprised by the emotional connection or relationship like everyone seems to have some sort of like oh Brandon Fraser like to the personal connection it's very strange I, I you know and I thought that that was just because of all of Zach's work and um how familiar he's been in the last few years but I was like oh no like I have a very specific idea of who this person is and who this person was in movies before you did your story in 18 w- would you have said if you were asked I'm a fan of Brendan Fraser's no not really I mean I mean I think I was, um, I'm 40. So the very early yeah. end of his career. It's wild s- when you say that out Encino loud. Man. I'm 42. School ties. I, I'm, I'm aware. <laughs> 40 uh, you also. are? Just to be clear. What's that? You're, You're 40, 40 also. also. Yeah, yeah. You're not. I'm not 42 yeah. years yeah. old. I'm 40 yeah, 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 years yeah, old yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. I'm like three months older than you though. That's true. Um, And showing it every day. <laughs> You're right around the eyes. Stop. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, School Ties and Cino Man, Airheads is a big rewatch for me as a kid. You kind of can't stream guy, it now. Zach Baron. Airheads, I'm really, hell yeah! I'm really like, we need to get Airheads back. I agree. If, if this does Where's anything, the Steelbook 4K for Airheads? Yeah, That's exactly. what I want to know. I was Criterion collection to learn about Steelbooks on that podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll show you some. I got plenty of my. House. I don't want to see them. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I need I need Janice Films to to do something about this. Where do you think Airheads came in on the on the uh, sight and sound poll? Uh, 101? Oh, yeah, 102? probably 102. Yeah. Um, fucking so I, I loved those movies. Um, Me too. In retrospect, I had like underrated certain other ones. Like if you go back and watch The Mummy and maybe we'll talk about it, but like 
that's quite fun. Very so good. It's, it's yeah. also like, uh, uh, oh, they don't make movies like this anymore. It's a it's a very particular example of a maybe like it's not the one that we're fighting for. I but have it's a like big a, theory about that. It's movie. kind of a fun one. And then you asked Amanda like, oh, what what are the surprises? It was funny. I, I rewatched some for for this. Mm-hmm. So I'm you know I'm on my sort of third rewatch with two stories mm-hmm. and, and this. The thing I liked this time around was like the kind of just the insane premises of the movies that they would just pump out <laughs> in the mid nineties. And also like the locales, like there's you know, a movie he's in younger and younger with Donald Sutherland. And it's like, this is a movie that takes place in Glendale at a storage facility. And it's about how Donald Sutherland is a philanderer and his haunted by his dead wife. Who's like, uh, you have not been faithful to me. And they're like, great premise for a movie. Let's get let's get that, that out there, you know? And so it's like, you watch these movies and you're seeing like Joe Pesci and Donald, Donald Sutherland and you're seeing like Encino and Glendale and there's just like a prosaic nature to these movies that has completely been lost from cinema and I kind of quite enjoyed revisiting. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Sweat. You mean armpit tears of weakness brought about by poor deodorant choices? Say goodbye to that salty river that floweth from your underarm with Old Spice Swagger Antiperspirant. Made for 24-7 sweat protection with daily use and an undeniable smell of cedarwood and lime. Mm. Giving you the confidence you need to quit your job, move to a remote island, and spend your days frolicking with dolphins. Old Spice Swagger Antiperspirant. Shop Old Spice now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Let's do the Hall of Fame. How do you feel about having Zach here for the Hall of Fame? I Great. Yeah. He really did his homework. Okay. I don't know why I'm being so nice to you. Do you think that on this podcast... Do you think that's going to change once we do the the you, Hall of Fame? I I don't I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. I but it was it was very sweet actually to like go walk past Zach's office and he'd just be like diligently sitting there with his AirPods in watching like the Scout or whatever at two. Well, that was me actually afternoon. preparing my 1982 movie draft. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. Did we not do 82? No, we did 84. We did my year. Who would you, who would be fifth chair if you were going to participate in the 1982 movie draft? Oh, do, do we need I five? Mean, I yeah, lean. We need five, yeah. Oh, I lean. I lean. It's a, it's okay. a, we'll see you in 2027 yeah. when we do that pod. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Let's do, the, let's do the Hall of Fame. Okay. Brendan Fraser announces himself to the world in 1992, 30 years ago, with a film called Encino Man. This film was sold not on the strength of Fraser's fame, which did not exist, but on the fame of Pauly, Pauly Shore. Shore. 
Yeah. And this film, in my opinion, is definitively in the Brendan Fraser Hall of Fame. Of course. 1,000%. This is like the number one. We always go back and forth of like the debut film. Do we need to include it? It's important in the career historically. This is absolutely. No brainer. Uh, A high school comedy about an unfrozen caveman who emerges as the coolest guy in town. Uh, Quality flick. And I just I just want people to know, you know, maybe Bobby doesn't know this, but it's like, go watch this movie, listen up Polly Shore's like catchphrases and understand that that uh all of us were just like walking around talking to each other, just like Yeah, like, buddy. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's just That's really true. That's how we were as Americans then. What a weird time to grow up. Um, let's just keep moving. I don't want to spend too much time at Polly Shore. We gotta do his Hall of Fame at some point down the road here. Uh nineteen ninety two school ties. Absolutely. This is uh, also quite a year, quite a breakthrough for well, him. This is so he's in he's in one movie in like a basically uncredited part um, before these two it's movies called Dogfight. Called Dogfight, and he plays like a sailor. He gets thrown into like a pinball machine. These are the first two movies that he effectively is in. In my opinion, they both belong in the Hall of Fame. They're both iconic films. I don't. It's it's very and also School Ties, which we can get into. Matt Damon's in this movie. Chris O'Donnell's in this movie. Brendan Fraser is starring in a movie that also stars Matt Damon, Chris O'Donnell, Randall Badkanoff, Andrew Lowry, these people, Cole Hauser, Ben Affleck, and Anthony Rapp. And he's the, he's the star. Ben Affleck is shirtless dancing as a supporting character in this film. The authors of this film are amazing to me. It's so good. So Daryl Ponickson, uh, who is the novelist who wrote The Last Detail, among many other great novels, and also Dick Wolf, yeah. the creator of Law and Order. Absolutely. Those are the two screenwriters of this movie. I don't think I knew that until today. This is an incredibly 90s film as well. This very much. was a very important film if you were a teenager uh interested in uh young men in the in the 90s. It just really just an all-star lineup. Watched it a lot. I I don't I guess it was like a sleepover movie. It's a pretty weird movie to have as a sleepover. Yeah, you know, sure. But this is a movie about um, Brendan Fraser plays a a Jewish student at a prep school in the fifties who is uh, discriminated against because of his uh, Jewish identity. So that's like weird to throw on after the Tiger Beat and the makeovers, you know. But we did still plenty of locker room sequences, as I recall. Really true. Um, Okay, so those first two are in. I, is that the first time ever that the first I two films so. in an actor's career are going yeah. in the Hall of Fame? Uh, the next couple of films um, are less known. <laughs> 1993's 20 Bucks, and then Zach just mentioned 1993's Younger and Younger, uh, neither of which I think are, are are making the Hall of Fame here today. Yeah. No, interesting time capsules. It's like, oh man, they were they were making movies like this? I, I, guess, they, yeah. I guess they were. They were. Yeah. Uh, we have two greens and two reds. Let's continue. Now, we enter a... Fascinating period of fame. Uh, With Honors, Airheads, and The Scout are all released in 1994. And I will say, as a 12-year-old boy, I was like, wow, is this Cary Grant? (laughs) Is this Jimmy Stewart among us? Because Airheads was basically Casablanca. (laughs) I saw all three of these movies in theaters. And I I like them quite a bit. And I also saw all three of these movies many, many times on cable television. For whatever reason, Brendan Fraser dominated HBO and TNT in the mid-90s. There's a part of me 
that wants to put all three in. And we can talk about these movies individually, but as I look you at them, I'm like... With honors? I've, so, the... I've seen With Honor so many times. And did you rewatch it? I, or... di- I didn't. I'm, I don't Zach have to watch it ever again. did. You did? Yeah. Okay. Independently. We didn't do a single minute of this together, which was is pretty stupid in retrospect. Um... This is a weird movie. Look, I have a very busy schedule. I can't okay. be I can't right. be watching with I, honors on your timetable. I do understand that this co-star is Joe Pesci. I think he's the star, really, of this yeah. movie. But this movie, to me, more so than anything Brendan Fraser does, is 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 best known as the movie in which Joe Pesci plays <laughs> an unhoused man who lectures Gore Vidal in a Harvard lecture room. Actual <laughs> Gore Vidal, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that scene, for whatever reason, I'll I'll never forget it. <laughs> it. It lives in my mind. That might have been my introduction to Gore Vidal, who I love. Uh, With Honor is probably the least likely to make the the Hall of Fame. But of it is also memorable. I, I mean, we can put Airheads in. Right, we can go ahead and do it right now. Do you guys? Wanna- I think so. Airheads is a is a broad comedy about uh, three members of a rock band who essentially take a radio station hostage in an effort to get their song played on the air. Uh, it also stars Steve Buscemi and Adam Sandler and Joe Mantegna and Chris Farley and a whole, an incredible lineup of 90s comedy stars. Is it actually funny? I don't fucking care. It was to me when I was 13. Yeah. I must have watched this movie like 50, 50 times. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, okay, let's put Airheads in. Let's let's make this with honors a yellow and then let's okay. talk about The Scout. Did you did you visit did you yeah, not revisit the whole thing, or visit the scout? But I did revisit the scout. Um, what relationship did you have to the scout as a kid? Uh, well, I didn't have television growing up. I was like basically raised by by wolves in the outdoors. But um, <laughs> Sean uh, once taught me what television was. That's, um, that's I, true. I literally called Sean. I was like, "How do I get cable?" I was twenty five years old. Oh, I thought this was going to be the soup. Well, yeah, I mean, it was shortly really after that. I was like, I thought this soup was fake. I didn't think anything on it was real. And then I was like, well, I guess I need cable. So I called him. I was like, how do you how do you get TV? <laughs> that all of this happened. Um, yeah. Me introducing you to television is that's probably my greatest work. Yeah. You know, I, I yeah. feel great about having. A, I still remember when the cable man came. You, you know, he attached yeah, the wires. You still don't really know. How I was work. like Encino man. I was yeah. like, oh my god. Like, <laughs> when and when would he let you? pull up the Apple TV and try to find what we're watching on streaming, it's it's a it's a struggle still. But you're working so, on it. So, in answer to your question, I missed the sort of HBO run of this stuff. Okay. Um, you know, it was playing at, like Amanda said, sleepovers, friends' houses, birthday parties, so, you know, watch The Scout or something like that. Um, I would not say, watching it again, that, you know, it, it has aged with any particular distinction. Mm-hmm. Um, although I, you know, I enjoy the performers. You know, it's just like Albert Brooks, like being like <laughs> doing Albert Brooks stuff. But yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't know if this is in my Hall of Fame. It was not. It, I did not have a lot of relevance to me as a young uh, child. This I, I just watched School Ties again instead. I guess it does sort of represent like the emerging Brendan Fraser archetype as like the kindly guy like fish out of water the kindly fish out of water and a little bit nervier and anxiety riddled right. than uh, that co- this comes up often in, in his characters and obviously is is resonant in the whale as well um and that you don't necessarily think of him as a character or as an actor who's pursuing those kinds of characters but that he is you know in this case um he plays uh, a man named steve nebraska who becomes an Great obsession name. Of, of, a, of a baseball scout who is attempting to bring him to the New York Yankees. And he, you know, Steve Nebraska has some struggles. And this is a really interesting movie. Also, very notable 
screenwriting credits on this film. So Albert Brooks and Monica Johnson, who collaborated on a number of screenplays over the years, co-wrote the film with Andrew Bergman, who also directed films like The Freshman, and also Roger Angel, the legendary New Yorker writer, who is, of course, best known for his writing about baseball and who just passed away recently and is frankly a hero to me as I'm sure he is to you, Zach. Um, and this movie also has like Diane Weist in it and uh, Michael Rappaport and J.K. Simmons. It's like a, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. real 90s artifact in a lot of ways. I like it a lot. I will make it a yellow for the okay. sake of this conversation. Okay. Um, especially considering I have a lot less to say about some of these other films that are sure. coming up in the 90s. Uh, the Passion of Darkly Noon I've never seen. Did you watch any either of no, you watch this? Either. Did you watch this for your research? Uh, yeah, yeah. The first time around. Um, yeah, it, it's okay. it's a strange. It's a very strange red movie. Then, yes. Yeah, right. Okay. I, think uh, we, I think we can read. Brendan read that. plays the titular Darkly Noon yeah. in the film. I I watched Mrs. Winterborn so for the first I. time last night. This is wild. What a film! What on earth? This stars Ricky Lake. Yep. Speaking of the '90s, and Shirley MacLaine. Okay, let me see if I can recreate this plot for okay. you. I'm not looking at Wikipedia. So Ricky Lake, uh, is pregnant, and is on a train and maybe she has to leave her home for some reason. It's not a great situation. I can't totally remember. And she's on a train and she befriends Brendan Fraser and his pregnant wife, partner. And then there's a train accident and Ricky Lake wakes up in the hospital pregnant and... No, she wakes up in the, in the hospital, hospital having oh, and given she's like, birth. Where's my baby? Where's my baby? And the baby's okay. Um, but... The hospital has confused her for the pregnant wife of Brendan Fraser. Who died on the train. Both of whom died on the train. Very sad. Uh, but then it turns out that Brendan Fraser's character has a twin brother, also played by Brendan Fraser, and is very wealthy. And uh, her mother, and the, the mother of this very wealthy twin brother, and I guess the, the dead guy, are is Shirley MacLaine. And they take in Ricky Lake and the baby as the grandson that they, or grandchild, I actually don't remember, of the, of, of, of an heir, right? Except that Brendan Fraser the, is the rich brother who doesn't believe that, it thinks something fishy is going on and it's kind of an asshole. And then guess what? They fall in love. Yeah. Because it's a 1996 dramedy directed by Richard Benjamin. And that's what happens in these kinds of films. What a weird film extraordinary. The casting is really, really bonkers. Yeah. It's, it's something that you could only get in 1996. I don't think it needs to go in the Hall of Fame. It's not going in the Hall of Fame. Zach, it's available. Unless you really love it. It should not be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I'm going to start calling you Mr. Winterborn. Please, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 1997. That's, that's actually my brother. <laughs> <laughs> what if there were two Zachs? Yeah, that's right. Zach and Jack? Zach oh. and Jack Barron? Wow. Yeah. Think about that it. That would be weird. Yeah. It's a miracle that uh, Jack didn't get on this program okay. before I did. Okay, all right. Okay. <laughs> 1997, The Twilight of the Golds. Why does he keep playing characters whose name is in the title? David Gold? I... After playing Bill and Hugh Winterborn and then Darkly Noon and The Passion of Darkly Noon? Yeah. It's pretty I mean... weird. Uh, that movie's not going in. Yeah. Uh, George of the Jungle. Have to. So this is an adaptation of a uh, famous cartoon. And this is the first, I think, of the f- true Brendan Fraser cartoon live-action performance. He gives a few more of these as his career goes on. Uh, it's an iconic movie that I don't like. But it is iconic, especially to a certain generation. And and especially in the Brendan Fraser story. Like, you can... I have a vision of him even as I... I don't really remember this movie, honestly. It's on Disney Plus right now. People okay, can great. watch it. Yeah, and it's... 
It is the template. You know, it, it's very it's very interesting. We're talking about school ties. There's there for for him there is a kind of forking path, right? He's in this movie with like Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, guys who go mm. on to to make prestige movies, basically, you know, and and Damon's case get, you know, I think yep. nominated for some Oscars. They're and, making Goodwill Hunting, he's making George of the Jungle. Yeah, and and you know, and you could make an argument that Goodwill Hunting does not exist without with honors. That would be like a very funny argument to make. Probably accurate mm-hmm. in some like respect, where yeah. people are like, "All right, I guess you can do this." <laughs> Joe Pesci will be played by Matt Damon, and he's a janitor, you know. <laughs> uh, but instead, in part because Hollywood is about what your what your frame is like, what you look like. Brendan's a big guy at the time; he's very muscular, and in part, I think just due to the vagaries that could happen one way, it could happen the other. He finds himself in movies like these with his shirt off, very muscular, playing. You, you've kind of flagged in the scout. He has this ability, especially at this time, to like basically be like, I am, and right from Encino, man, like I had emerged from a literal cave. Mm-hmm. The world is new to me. And the movie is going to be about me, like effectively like waking up and processing the world as it is. And we're going to do that for comedy and we're going to do that for, for drama. And George's Jungle, really the prototypical of like, this guy comes out of the jungle, doesn't know what's going on, mm-hmm. his shirt is off, he bumps into stuff. <laughs> and this is going to set the template for 20 years of screen acting by him. Um, and is like what makes The Whale so interesting because he really spent a long time doing stuff like this. And in part, it was because this movie came out, was incredibly successful and meant a lot to a lot of people. It's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. 1988, still breathing. Haven't seen this film. Nor Anybody here I. seen it? I have not. Amazing. So that's what's so unique about this person's career. And there, there, we've had some examples of this as we've done hall, halls of fame in the past, but you know, this is a this is George of the Jungle, and this is, I guess, an independent production starring Joanna Going and Brendan Fraser. And okay, people. Just, I mean, you know, we were all it. teenagers in the '90s, so if mm-hmm. it wasn't, you had to seek out the things that weren't George of the Jungle. You're right, but okay, here's a great example. That same year, Bill Condon's film Gods and Monsters came along. Sure. And this felt like a film that I was reading about in Entertainment Weekly for two months. Because it was nominated for Oscars. Yeah. You know, so that was served to you in a different way. Brendan Fraser was not nominated, but... He was not. I revisited this movie, um, quite an odd film. Yes. uh, Which is a, a portrait of James Whale, the famed director of Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, among others, at the end of his life kind of reconciling um, his identity as a gay man and his place in Hollywood history and his life and his career. Ian McKellen stars as Whale. And um, Brendan Fraser plays Clayton Boone, who is a man who cuts his lawn. And then they be, they form a sort of friendship. And then he enlists Clayton to do certain things for him in his life. Uh, very strange movie. And is Clayton Boone is not a real person. Is this based on a true story? I don't think it is. I think it's like there's certain like imagined aspects of this. Very odd movie. I liked Ian McKellen's performance for the first half, and then the second half, I thought it takes like a very odd yeah. turn. Um, but it's a very well-known movie in Fraser's career. Is it in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, it's interesting. If you want to tell a story about him, then this is like part of the evidence that you marshaled to say, hey, this guy was always a great dramatic actor, and and um, he just wasn't appreciated for it in mm-hmm. his time. If you go back and watch the movie, you say, well, yeah, he is kind of a great dramatic actor, but this this movie just doesn't quite work, you know, despite the fact that he's acting opposite Ian McKellen and they're they're both great and like Ling Ray Rave is in this movie and mm-hmm. there's there's plenty of 
star power and the and the and it gets nominated, right? Um, Ian McKellen does. Yeah, he does for the for the performance. Um, so it's like, okay, yeah, you you want proof of concept that he can do it? Here it is. Um, is it like ultimately, if you if you want to put together like a if if you want it in there for the narrative about hey, this guy could always do dramatic parts, then I think you put it in. If you want a sort of collection of like the the ten best films or whatever, then I'm not sure if it makes sense. That sounds like a yellow to me. Yeah. I think it's telling that he doesn't do a lot more movies like this mm. for a while. You know, it is part of the narrative, but it also it doesn't stick in the same way. And that's, you know, because other movies like make more money or whatever. But I don't think it's like it's a tool that he has. It's a tool in his toolbox, but it's not necessarily representative of this of this arc of the career. Right. In some ways, like Blast from the Past, which is like the next, yes, the next thing Blast on this from list. Yes, Blast from the Past. How have I seen Blast from the Past so many times? Is it just because Alicia Silverstone? This is your airheads. Yeah, this uh, is my airheads. And I think it must be because, you know, like Clueless was just sacred. Mm-hmm. And so then... Just anything, a few years after Clueless. Yeah, yeah, and then anything that Alicia Silverstone did, I watched. This is like literally just a remake of Encino Man, except he's from... He's not from like the... He's not a caveman or whatever. He is from the 60s and was hiding from the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yes, he's been hiding in a bomb shelter with his parents for 30 years. Right, his parents who are Christopher Walken and Sissy Spacek. Giving quite zany performances in this movie. And yet yet another movie where he emerges blinking into the world, being like, what's going on? And he emerges, to your point about locations, like uh, like a porn shop in the valley. Yes. So, and then Alicia Silverstone has to teach him the ways of the valley. I don't know whether this is in the Hall of Fame, but I have seen it like more than five times, which is more than anyone should have seen this movie. It's so interesting that his Hall of Fame is going to be riddled with films that people would describe as mediocre comedies, but hold a special nostalgic place yes. in our heart in part because of the age of the hosts. Right, but I do... This is very particular to the big picture. No, but I do also think that that's a lot of the Brendan Fraser like appeal. And I think that's why so many people connected to Zach's stories in addition to them, like to Brendan being like a very... like sympathetic person and also the story's being good but like and also to the comeback right now and honestly like I think why people went to see the whale in theaters Mm -hmm. because people were like oh Brandon Fraser I have some sort of fondness for that person I I don't we can yellow blast from the past I think it's got a strong case not as strong a case as another film he makes in 1989 which is The Mummy Mummy, yeah which is okay here's my theory on The Mummy it's a beloved film. We've talked about it a couple times in the past about how the generation young, that is slightly younger than the three of us worships this movie. This movie has a has a lifespan on social media now that it suggests it is sort of like Star Wars A New Hope if you are 28. <laughs> um, I like it a lot. It's definitely even better than I remembered. I did see it in movie theaters. It is a little bit of the template for Marvel movies. It is a um, technically a period piece that is a swashbuckling kind of post-Indiana Jones adventure movie, but its tone is much more like wink, wink, nudge, nudge in the middle of every battle sequence. And this movie was very successful. It had multiple um, sequels and spinoffs and has a kind of arcane mythology attached to it. But its star is very Chris Evansian Captain America in Brendan Fraser in that performance. And so I think that's one of the reasons why this movie persists is because it feels like 
a precursor to a lot what a lot of contemporary action movies are like. Right. Except like notably it's shot in like Marrakesh. Yes. Right. So one of the things that if you go back and look at it now is so striking is you watch Marvel movies and you're like, you're in Manhattan Beach or you're in a soundstage in Atlanta and it looks like that. And these guys are just like, yeah, we're actually in the Moroccan desert. Mm-hmm. I think it's supposed to be Egypt. But That's my husband being like, film on location. Yeah. I care if you yeah. go to Germany. That's, so, that's yeah. great that you both have that that's together. That's really beautiful. That's, Thank you. That's how you build a successful marriage. Yeah. And, and and also, although, you know, Marvel movies do this too, it's like, you know, his, the, it's great actors yeah. in this movie. You yeah. know, it's like, it's like you're watching people who are good at the work do do silly stuff mm-hmm. and stuff, some of which is not really aged very well at all. But um, just the fact that it is sort of this big budget entertainment on location with like actors exchanging real lines of dialogue. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you. It's like the precursor to Marvel stuff. In some ways, you could point to some things about this movie and say, hey, they could actually use a little bit more of what's here. Uh yeah, I agree with you. I think Marvel movies could also use more Rachel Vice. Well, that's I, my, yeah, I that's was my literally point. going yeah. to say that, but then they did, and they didn't. She was okay in it. I enjoyed her. Like, I thought she was very she's good. Very good in that in film, movie, yeah. yeah, but that film is not very good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so I love Rachel Vice. The we all do here on the big picture. Yeah. Um, the Mummy's in. Blast from the Past is yellow. In 1999, we also get Dudley Do Right. Did you rewatch this? I didn't. I did. This is. What is happening? So this is like a satire of Canada, yeah. I guess. Yep. Um, and there's a lot of cartoon work to the point that I thought that like there had been a streaming glitch, you know, and they were just showing me like some weird kids cartoon instead of Dudley Do-Right. But then I fast forwarded and it wasn't still, uh, in fact, Dudley Do-Right. Brendan Fraser plays a Mountie or something yes. thereof. I'm not a Canada expert. I've actually never been to Canada. So Wonder, I, wonderful country. I hope our Canadian listeners don't get angry at me. Sarah Jessica Parker is also in this movie mm-hmm. and they sing to each other. Sure. And then I closed the tab. So I, I don't know what to say. I saw it. Uh, this is the year that Hugh Wilson and Brendan Fraser double dipped because Hugh Wilson also directed uh, Blast from the Past. And so they made two films together in this year. Dudley Do-Right is a character who you would see in interstitials on the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. Mm. Um, I don't know if Rocky and Bullwinkle has any cultural cachet here in 2022. Highly recommended. Um, huge fan as well as a kid. Uh, kind do of you a, really? Love, love Rocky and Bullwinkle. When love did you it. watch it? Boris and Natasha, let's go. Okay. Was this like a Rich Baron thing? Why you gotta drag my father? <laughs> because your father showed you a lot of like your early comedy, you know, loves. Yes, that's true. Okay. That's true. That yeah. wasn't like a negative. He showed thing. me like this in Cool Hand Luke. Rich He's like, Baron this is cinema. Has some notes on Fort Ad Astra and it's like, you know, space, whatever. And he likes old timey comedy. Yeah, he had an issue with the physics there. Yeah. Okay. James Gray apologize. Yeah. I, I'm enjoying just observing your marriage in okay. the distance. Thanks so um, much. Dudley Duray's not going in the Hall of Fame. Fair? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I'm think okay with that. I think from the Brendan perspective, this is a this is a sort of an element of like where his taste mm-hmm. goes to a place that I don't we just don't we don't, we don't share I don't share the taste. It's I, like it's yeah. like the cartoon interstitial thing, Canadians are funny thing. It is a type of humor. It used to frankly be a more widespread yeah. uh common type of humor. Agree. It's just not one that I ever shared. At yeah. this stage, we're in 1999. We have five greens, 
four yellows. And you might think to yourself, God, how are they ever going to get through the 2000s? Right. And then, and then we, here we go. Bedazzled. Um, so Bedazzled is a remake of a comedy starring Dudley Moore and Peter Cook from the 1960s British comedy. Guess what? I love this version of Bedazzled. You do. do. Are you going to fight for it? Well, here's the thing. 17-year-old horndog Sean say, do you love meeting Elizabeth, Elizabeth Hurley, Hurley in, yeah. Horn, in Bedazzled okay. is, uh, is probably clouding my opinion of the film. But I do think that this is kind of Brendan Fraser doing Jim Carrey. He plays like multiple versions of himself in multiple realities because Bedazzled is kind of a genie film. It's kind of a wish-may-come-true film. And it's a very broad comedy, very silly. As Zach said, we're in this cartoonish phase. But I think it's kind of successful. And whether or not like you're a bedazzled person or a monkey bone person, which is the next movie he makes, the only live action animated comedy directed by Pete, uh, Henry Selick, your mileage may vary on these two films, but they're both kind of pretty cult classic to a certain group. I don't know if you care about either of these movies, Zach. No, I, I share the bedazzled thing. Again, you you and I are uh, you know similar in, in certain uh, respects. I, Recently, Brendan and Elizabeth Hurley were photographed together, I believe, in London while he was like on the London, uh, the whale press tour. And it was like actually very moving to see the two, two of them <laughs> yeah. together. So, yeah. so, so like Redford and Newman back yeah, together. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I have a, I have a soft spot uh, as well for, for this film. I'm yellowing bedazzled, okay. goddammit. Now, okay. I, Monkey Bone for me, you'd think would be a movie that I would advocate for, but I don't think it works ultimately. I assume you don't care. No, I don't. Bone. I don't care about Monkey Zach, Bone. Zach, you don't care about I Monkey don't care Bone. About it, yeah. Um, okay, Monkey Bone's going red. People are going to be mad. I don't care. The Mummy Returns is just a perfectly adequate adventure sequel. Um, I think that is also red, safe to say, though it does indicate, you know, he still has a box office power, Brendan Fraser. 2002. Although the, this is about when it starts to wane. It starts to fade right I here. Made two hundred million dollars in the U.S., four hundred and thirty-three million dollars worldwide. Very big. It's a real franchise that right. ultimately is used to launch the film career of Dwayne the Rock Johnson in the Scorpion King. Okay, two thousand two, The Quiet American. You know, I didn't revisit this, and I wanted to. Um, this is uh, an adaptation of a Graham Greene novel. I think this is the second film version of The Quiet American. It is, yeah. Um, co-starring Michael Caine. Uh. I don't. I don't remember it that well. I assume you've you re- revisited this. Yeah, and I think this is the other entrant, along with kind of gods and monsters, into just being like, "Hey, adult drama, prestige, prestige thing." Here he is. He's doing it. He he can do it, right? And I I think this film is actually kind of more successful as a movie than Gods and Monsters. It, I mean, among other things, this is sort of a spy story. And, mm-hmm. and right, you're biased. I mean, give me a spy story <laughs> starring a great actor like Brendan Fraser. Um. You know, ultimately, like Gods and Monsters, is it is it great? Does it does it sort of transcend the fact that it's you know a Graham Greene adaptation of you know probably not. Mm-hmm. So does it make in in here? I don't know, but I think it, it is in this filmography a, a definitely like a worthy. It's a good performance. It's like an actually good movie. Um, yellow, yellow. Let's go yellow. 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 Live with yellow. yellow. Yeah. Okay. Um, Looney Tunes back in action. I'm not going to get either of you to care about this, but. This movie's You're going to try and I'm, I'm gonna talk try. about it for like an hour? Um, maybe. This movie is directed by Joe Dante, who made such films as Gremlins. Um, it's also written by Larry Doyle, who wrote for The Simpsons and wrote I Love You, Beth Cooper, and a number of other really great TV shows and books over the years. He used to work at Spy Magazine. Um, very smart fellow. This movie is basically a satire of Looney Tunes. It's not actually a true blue, true blue Looney Tunes movie, and yet it also is. Um, it was a massive bomb and probably essentially 
indicates the downturn in his career here. Uh, Do we consider Space Jam a Looney Tunes movie? Yeah, I think so. Okay, just wondering. I mean, it's not pitched as such, but, but it, is it features Bugs Bunny okay. and Daffy Duck and, you know. So, yeah, I okay. think so. I guess back in action's not going in, but there's there's a hive. Just putting that out there. And and if if you follow his career, this is like a very interesting point in time. He, when I was doing the first story with him, he told me this long, we're in like London, told me this long, complicated story of this movie. I could, I, you're rolling your eyes. Because I was, I was really, in London. Because you were in London. Just like yeah. the number of places that you've got. It was during Christmas. It was quite beautiful. I know. I was, I was really, away from my family. Thank really, God. Really, really um, pissed about that. Anyway. And he told me this, he's a he's a digressive talker and the best circus still move. Very, very complicated story about this movie that I, I frankly had a lot of trouble following. Mm-hmm. Um to the point where I was like, Can you can you like explain to me what you're trying to tell me? Because you've been talking for like 25 minutes. I have no idea what you're talking about. He plays a stuntman in this movie. Uh he plays Brendan Fraser's stuntman in Looney Tunes back in action. That's the that's the part that he's playing. And at the end, the real Brendan Fraser comes to set. And he punches him. And in Brendan's narrative, he's like, what I really wanted to do was punch myself because I was sick of myself and I didn't think I like deserved what I had and I wasn't happy with what I was doing. And it kind of sets the tone for everything that comes next that we're about to talk about. Um, so in, in his mind, this movie has a lot of meaning and it's complicated and it's about self-loathing and regret and dissatisfaction all wrapped up in a movie about Looney Tunes, which is which is a very Brendan thing. So what's interesting about this is he the next film he appears in one best picture. Yeah. He plays District Attorney Rick, Rick Cabot in Crash. It's a pretty small role in this ensemble film, which has now become widely understood to be one of the worst best picture winners of all time. Um, his performance is fine. I think it's kind of neither. It's not terribly notable. Um and then after that, and I, I would say that that movie is not in just because it's not a good movie. And even though he's in it, he's the eighth lead of the film. And so we don't have to include it. And then we can literally name 11 or 12 movies in a row that are not going in that are in this kind of fallow period for him. Journey to the End of the Night, The Last Time, The Air I Breathe, Journey to the Center of the Earth, which was, you know, a modest family film hit. But I don't think, that's, you know, he's replaced in the sequel, in fact, by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, which indicates you know, how Hollywood viewed him at that time as kind of a disposable leading man. Um, he's in The Mummy Tomb of the Dragon, Inkheart, Extraordinary Measures, Furry Vengeance, Standoff, A Case of You, Hairbrained, Pawn Shop Chronicles, Gimme Shelter. Has anyone seen these films? Most of these films went largely unseen. Some of them were VOD. Um, it's a long stretch. There's a big gap between 13 and 19 where he hardly works at all. And then he's in some films called The Poison Rose, Line of Descent, The Secret of Karma. That's 15 years of work, very little of which is not notable, none of which is going to go in for our purposes. Um, That's a long time to be away. You know, that's a lot longer than the Travolta comp I made where five years before Pulp Fiction, he was at least headlining Look Who's Talking, which made $150 million at the box office. So it was quite a precipitous fall, so to speak, from where he had stood at more or less the center of mainstream American movies. And then, as you said, he re- restarts with uh, work on The Affair and then on um, Trust. And then he's in No Sudden Move and then The Whale. So No Sudden Move, you know, he again, he's sort of like the sixth lead. I agree. I like his part. I'm not so sure it's worthy of the, the Hall of Fame. Any 
I, there's a lot of some strong Soderbergh support here in this room. I don't. Yeah. Are you going to make a case for it? Well, it starts. It doesn't start the comeback, but it's like the signal of the comeback. It's like the oh yeah, Brendan Fraser. Also, we also re- all really like that movie and don't talk it about good. it enough. It is good. And Trust is not a movie, but his part on Trust, which is like as a hostage negotiator who like wears a cowboy hat, is like a very very charming, very very solid, very very good performance. Yeah, he's good in that. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um that was this very strange thing because it came out after All the Money in the World, which was also about the Getty kidnapping and so it was sort of like do we really need two versions of the right. story, one of which is 10 hours long? Anyhow, I would say to me no sudden move I is mean, a no, but well, the whale is obviously a yes. Is it? I that's think so. Okay, yeah. that's the thing. He's going to be nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah, I think it, we've never not right. put somebody who is nominated for an Academy Award in film in the Hall of Fame. Yes, I have. You have? I didn't put Steel Magnolias in Julia Roberts' Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah, but that people was controversial. Think you were wrong. Well, yeah. you know what? I'm. It's my Hall of Fame, and I was right. What will you do when Julia Roberts comes on this show and confronts you about how you failed to recognize her strong work in that movie? We'll talk it out. I would love to hear her stories for making Steel Magnolias. I dare you to challenge Julia Roberts one time when you meet her once. I think that I Julia would respect it, don't you think? No, I don't. Okay. She's well, like, you're a podcaster. I'm Julia Roberts. Well, that's uh, true. Uh, Zach, will you be joining us for the Challenge Julia Roberts episode? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I uh, I also have some questions for Julia Roberts. <laughs> some, some, some hard, skeptical questions about what she's been up to. Do you think that the whale should be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I really, I will say, I love this performance. I, I get why people have issues with the movie. Um, I think it's a it's a fantastic performance. Um, and I think it's cool to see. We we talked about Gods and Monsters, are quite American, or even School Ties to some extent, as dramatic roles. They were dramatic roles, maybe not the best script, maybe not the best part. Just like, hey, you can play dramatic. But this to me, again, think what you want about the movie, but he has a lot to do and he does a lot with it. You looked right at me as you said, think what you want about the movie. Should I, which, should I look at the floor? I don't know. It was just like a little aggressive. Am I allowed to meet your eyes? Yeah, I was just like, I whatever. It's fine. I don't care for Darren Aronofsky. You guys do. Here's what we've got in the Hall of Fame. Encino Man, School Ties, Airheads, George of the Jungle, The Mummy, and The Whale are all green. Okay. That's six. We are sitting on two, four, six yellows. Those films are With Honors, The Scout, Gods and Monsters, Blast from the Past, and The Quiet American. And bedazzled. And bedazzled. Thank you. Now, I would suggest that Gods and Monsters and Blast from the Past should go in. Should be in the Hall of Fame. I think so, too. Okay, great. I think they are signature films in his career. They're films that are still revisited that are available to be streamed right now. That matters. That's how we remember Unlike Airheads. Justice for Airheads. Where Airheads is on streaming, I'm not sure. Um, So that leaves us with two spots. The Quiet American, Bedazzled, The Scout, and With Honors. Are we really going to put with honors in the Hall of Fame? I, I was just about to say, it's with honors. It is. Wow. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I but mean, is it, oh, man, this is hard. I, I do think with honors over the scout. I know that you had a great relationship. You work with at the, the ringer. Yeah, I know. This is a notable 90s sports film. I have great love for a lot of 90s sports films and 2000 sports films mm-hmm. and 2010 the year sports films starring Brad Pitt. So don't tell me. But the scout does not really have like the wider audience, you know? Doesn't it? Steve, it does. Steve does it? Nebraska? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it does. Okay, all right, fine. Then put the scout in. But you're not going to put with honors in? I don't know. I'm torn here. <sighs> if you guys want to ride for Bedazzled, 
Okay, so are we taking Gods and Monsters over the Quiet American as the yes. Brendan Fraser yes. in support of 1000%. the older actor doing? I think I think work. it's like a it's a probably a better movie, more interesting part, um, more si- signature in his career. Okay, so it's bedazzled with honors in the Scout. Now, when we do when Zach and I uh, launch our new show, the Elizabeth Hurley podcast, and we go through her career That's beat great. by beat, I can't and wait Instagram be, post by Instagram. I post. can't wait to be on the Hugh Grant episode. Okay, and also the I have a lot of thoughts about that swimwear line. Um, the good thoughts, yeah, yeah. Her swimwear is great. That's my <laughs> that's my review of Elizabeth Hurley's swimwear. Um, gosh, I'm not sure here. I have I, a, I kind of think bedazzled too. Think, do you think, think bedazzled and with honors and leaving the scout out? Um, um, with honors and the scout, I think have to fight it out for that last spot, and I think bedazzled goes in at nine. Well, I truly support bedazzled going in. That's <laughs> fantastic. Is, you guys news. are wild. That's, that's great. Fine. This is. It was like we were doing okay, and then I realized that this is how I choose. To I know spend you my guys time. think we're almost done, but I have an Elizabeth Hurley uh, mailbag coming. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've been gathering questions for some time. Okay. I oof, my instinct is the scout, but if you guys want to go with honors, we'll go with honors. That's the magic of democracy here on a three-person podcast. No, I'm I'm switching. I'm going to the scout. Look at that. You've I been s- overruled. That's this is wild. How but- often does this happen where we're out together? All the time. This is my life, you know? And like basically I devised it. So I only deal with you at work and I deal with him (laughs) at home and never and rarely shall the twain meet, you know? And I'm prepared. Okay. I think this is really strange, but that's fine. You've been bullied into accepting the scout. You should watch it. Quality film. I did watch it. Okay. I just think with honors lives on for better and worse. Well, we're going to get some feedback on this. Yeah. Here's the Hall of Fame for Brendan Fraser. Encino Man, School Ties, Airheads, The Scout, George of the Jungle, Gods and Monsters, Blast from the Past, The Mummy, Bedazzled. And now, 22 years later, The Whale. Bedazzled. You guys are wild. I, I think, do like I, Elizabeth Hurley. I think all my bedazzled heads will, will come out and support okay. us. Yeah. And just like a real... If you were watching movies like at this time, then this just, it feels like of a piece and of an era that, that we want to memorialize. That's right. And, and save. Thank you and, to and Elizabeth for, Hurley for her work. Um, any closing thoughts here? What'd you think of your first appearance on the big picture? You know, it's just, uh, it's nice to finally be here. You want to after... do your corrections real fast? Oh yeah. Okay. Real quick. Yeah. Lightning round. Every time you guys do like a mailbag or whatever, and people are like, can you just talk about a signature date night experience that you've had mm. in the film? Man, always... Is like, let me tell you about the worst date I ever went on to, to this film called Margaret. I just want to say the masterpiece Ma- Margaret by Kenneth Lonergan mm-hmm. was lost for a very long time. <laughs> Did we, will we ever see it? We didn't know. The actors in the film are much younger than they were. That's right. This brief shining window in New York City showing in one theater for like two weeks. And they're like, hey, this might be the only time you ever get to see this film. And I was like, yo... Amanda Dobbins, who I don't know that well. Let me, let me, let me curate a very special, one of a kind experience for you and take you to see a masterpiece of cinema that we may never get to see again. And I did that. And now, every time this subject comes up, it's like, let me tell you about the worst date I ever went on. I dispute so, your characterization, but justice for Margaret okay. and justice for Zach. Continue. Number two. Well, I gotta see three. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, fine. We can do two. Uh, you guys love to, you know, one one time I went and saw Creed a little bit before you guys. Yeah, sometimes you know. a, uh, my job, I long lead, you know, I see, see things far yeah. out. I saw Creed. I came back. I said Creed wasn't good. That's, I admit that, that. That happened. I yeah. admit that. That happened. 
But that now on this thing, you're like, hey, Mr. Unreliable here. <laughs> there was one other example to me. The other example was Sicario. That was the one where I was like, oh. what movie did you see? Because I saw an incredible film. Oh, yeah. And you did not oh, see yeah, it that right. way. That's right. That was actually the one. Because Creed, that's a little close to your heart. Philly's complicated. Sicario, I was like, this bangs. This is a five-star film. And you were like, it doesn't work. Yeah, I was wrong about that. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But I was like, I was wrong twice. We're talking about hundreds of movies. I'm batting like 95. Yeah. Okay. And, but again, if you listen to the show, you would never know. You're that. a man yeah. of great taste. I'm, I would never suggest that you're not. The, the, you just gotta, every once in a while, you're left and Look, I'm right. I'm like, I'm in the theater by myself, you know, watching a man get murdered and tortured. <laughs> and it's just, it's just hard to know how to feel when, when, when you're in that dark room all by yourself. Uh, and and the, the the man is being murdered yeah. and tortured. So when, when you're, is that you listening to episodes of The Big Picture? Like what are you? Yeah. <laughs> well, when I run out of uh, episodes of Philly Special, then <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah, that's well, Zach Barron. Thank you. I Thanks love for you being guys. here, buddy. You, you're the best. Yeah. Uh, Amanda, we we did it again. We did it again. What are we doing? Oh yeah, we're doing, talking about Bardo next uh, later this week. Whoo! Oh yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about rewatching all of uh, Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu's films. What do you think okay. about that? You have that kind of time right now? No, I don't yeah. actually at all. Okay. I'm in the midst of dev talks and reviews. And, I thought uh, that we were stuff. doing performances along. The we are doing that as okay. well. We're also going to do the actors who won 2022 and okay. maybe the actors who lost. Maybe a couple of them lost. Oh. Brendan Fraser didn't lose. Uh, also not a loser. The winner, Bobby Wagner. Wags, thanks so much for your work on Bobby! today's episode. You're the man. Um, please stay tuned to the big picture. We'll see you later this week. 